Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one platform that's transforming how market-leading sales organizations use Salesforce around the world. Move past the call reports, pipeline reports, and forecasts, and stop using Salesforce just as a system of record. Let the Exvoyant team show you how to use Salesforce as a system of impact, improvement, and performance by creating one-on-ones that ignite and inspire. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. I hope you are enjoying Volume 1 of the podcast Greatest Hits. It is by far our most popular episode to date, and I appreciate the excitement around the value that's provided in this episode. Volume 2 is coming next week, and it will feature our next 13 amazing sales leaders. But today, we're going to mix it up and do something a little different. The last guest I featured is one of the the very best sales effectiveness leaders in the world today. You remember him. It's Doug Landis. Now, I introduced him as my ambassador of Quan, and Doug was quick to share that this comes from the movie Jerry Maguire. What that resulted in was a ton of inbox messages saying, what the hell is Quan? So I'm going to take you to a famous scene from the movie Jerry Maguire, where uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, Rod Tidwell, a football player, explains to his agent, Tom Cruise's character, Jerry Maguire, what the Quan is. Listen to this, and let's hear what it says. Quan. That's your word? Hell yeah, that's my word. You know, some dudes might have the coin, but they'll never have the Quan. What, what is? It means love, respect, community, and the dollars too, the entire package, though. Quan is about fulfillment and life and career. It isn't more money. It's love, respect, and community. It's running on all cylinders in every area of business and life. Jerry became someone to help Rod find the Quan, and he calls Jerry his ambassador of Quan. That dude helped him find the things he chased. Every one of us should have our personal ambassador of Quan. Every one of us might be someone's ambassador of Quan, and Doug is mine. He's helped me build my business but do way more than chase coin. Uh, I am stoked to bring him here today because he's given me a killer lens to look through that makes sure that not just the business runs well, he's helping me make sure life runs well too. So today, Doug joins us as our first repeat guest. Doug, thanks for joining us. Thank you, thank you, yeah. But Doug, we're doing a role reversal today, aren't we? We're gonna... Your episode's crushing, bro, but I'm turning the reins over to you. What's gonna happen? Take it away. Awesome. Well, you know, it's interesting, and I, I really appreciate being here. I appreciate the platitudes of being the ambassador of Quant. I think at the end of the day, we all have the opportunity to play this role for someone in our life. Um, interestingly enough, the subject of this conversation is, how, let's talk about what, what managers do to get the one-on-one right. And, you know, I want to draw the connection to this Quant conversation because the truth is as a sales manager, a frontline sales manager, a VP of sales, you have the opportunity to be the ambassador of Quan for your team, for your reps. 
And yes. so, and so yes. that's what we're going to dig into, right? Is how does a manager play that role in their one-on-ones and in their relationship with their reps? Yeah, you're dead on. I am super excited about this because you and I, I think one of the reasons we gravitate to each other, Doug, is we, like you go around helping leaders build billion dollar companies. You've got a killer track record. You know how to do that and do it as well as anybody in the world. Our company at Exvoyant, we help leaders take that one-on-one and have it become something that is a launch pad for achieving Quan. Yeah. And, and you know, let's start it with this. I want to start, maybe throw this out to you and I, and, and I want you to interview me. I don't want to dominate this. I, I'm really excited because <laughs> every time you talk to me, Doug, you challenge me and I want you to challenge me again. Okay. I want to go to a study that was just done by Keenan, um, Gong and ourselves. And we talked to thousands of reps and we asked them, how often do you get coaching? 48% said we never get it. Only 13% said, is it good? But here's the crazy part. We talked to their managers of those people that said they never get coaching, and 83% of them said, we coach all the time, and we're awesome at it. This is like a strength for us. Mm. So this gap, it isn't because, Doug, the managers are sitting around falling asleep at the switch. The managers are doing something that they think is coaching and quan chasing, right? They think they're doing that. But for whatever reason, it's not happening to the leader, to the reps. The reps don't think they're getting coaching. And I have found, as I talked to thousands of leaders in 19 countries around the world, that there are seven reasons why. They are doing things, but they fall into these traps, and there's seven reasons why. And I'm super excited for you and me to deconstruct them because if our leaders that listen to this get better at this, you may still violate one or two, but if you only violate one or two instead of all seven, boom, right? Big things happen. Yeah. I, 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 but here's a little caveat to all of this. I think one of the challenges is nobody knows what good actually looks like. Right. So one of the things you mentioned is like 48% of the reps actually say they get any coaching at all. But the truth is your manager may be giving you quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes over here. Um, they may be giving you quote coaching, but maybe they're just basically telling you what steps you need to take to actually get this deal done. Is that considered coaching? That's and let's, and let's think about this word and let's think about this word coaching, right? So coaching in a sports context, you know, football coaches don't say, well, you tell me what you think you should have done on that play. No. You know what they do? They say, no, this is what you're going to do. This is what you did right. This is what you did wrong. This is what I need you to do next, right? So it's almost like more dictatorial, in you, if you will, in a sporting context. And so I think the challenge around coaching when it comes to managers and reps is it's really difficult to identify what is good and what is actually coaching. Yes. Amen. So that's the first thing. It actually leads to the first uh, deadly sin, Doug. And your job today is to make sure we don't go long, bro. Your job, you have to. <laughs> I'll fence. keep you on track. I okay. suck at fencing people in. One, one of the things that my producer tells me is you suck at keeping people in. Let's see how good you are. Let's see if you're better than me at keeping us in line. Okay, dude? okay cool. We're, we're, let's get rocking. Yeah. There are seven deadly sins that you have highlighted that I think most coaches do. And unfortunately, again, half it's awareness. They don't even know that they're doing it or that they're not doing it. And again, they don't really know what good is. And so I think going through these seven sins is going to give people more context so that they can get a little bit better. And I think your point earlier was very well uh, taken in that it's like, look, you don't have to pay attention to the fact that you're, you may be doing all seven of these. Look, just try and do one or two, change one or two or yeah. three. Just do incremental changes because that's what actually growth is all about. And that actually, truthfully, is a huge part of Quan. Yes, sir. A little bit of growth. Okay, yes, sir. Let's get, to, let's get to deadly sin number one. What are the it, things that 
bad coaches do? Inconsistency. Okay. We are on, we're off. We say we're going to coach, but we, yeah. we are inconsistent. It's two things. It's frequency, but it's also focus, Doug. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's hit and miss. So I'm going to, I'm going to pause and, and you'll get your take on when I say inconsistency, frequency and focus, your thoughts. I, so a hundred percent true. Look, I will argue that the frontline sales manager job is the hardest job in the entire company. They're pulled in 52 directions. They have got to manage up. They've got to manage down. They've got to hire. They've got to help close. They've got to do one-on-ones. They've got to deal with HR issues. It's insane how much a frontline sales manager has to do. And so it's really hard to create that consistency. You know, you try and create a schedule of one-on-ones for your team, and then you've got all this deal pressure because maybe your team's not hitting the number or one of your reps is hitting the number and the other seven or eight are not. And so it's really difficult to actually create consistency. I think the important thing about about inconsistency is is splitting, and this is something that one of my early sales leaders told me a long time ago, which is being clear about splitting. We're gonna go, we're gonna do deal reviews, and then I am gonna separately. I'm we're gonna do coaching. Yes, that's exactly right. So when you see you have the symptom of of inconsistency, so if we look at three lenses, what is it? What's a symptom? What do you do? I think you're right. That is the antibiotic for that virus for sure, for that for that sickness right there cool. so split those oh, so what sure. you're so what you're saying here for you said deadly sin number 1 is just try and be consistent right two ways here's the things that everybody the most common question i get here Doug how often should you do a one on one that's yes. a great question great that's question great question here's what i think and i'll be interested because again you work with a ton of them just like i do i look at two lenses number 1 what's your cycle time from start to close Okay. Cycle time for start to close for sure is something you should look at. The second thing is what's the frequency of the selling activities? If you're in a highly transactional environment where you're making a hundred dials a day, you probably need at least weekly coaching. Yes. A weekly one-on-one. But if you're in a more enterprise deal where you're having fewer demos and you're having fewer calls and you're, you know, there's more steps moving deals through and originating deals, probably you can go as late as monthly, but I would never go much more frequent than weekly, and I would never go longer than monthly, and I would have that be the number one priority, and if you want to know how to fix it, it's what you said. I would accept the one-on-one as a primary role. Just like we say to our reps, calls with customers or prospects, that's probably the the thing you want to do as much as you can. Right. The face-to-face or eardrum-to-eardrum with your rep, that's got to be the priority for the manager. You can't say, I'll get to it if I have time, or if you're crushing, I'll leave you alone. Those yeah. are two symptoms that you've got to make sure you don't do. Yeah, yeah, totally. That actually feeds the inconsistency. Okay, that's deadly sin number one. Deadly sin number two. Ambushing with data. Okay? Oh, my gosh, yeah. I love this one, okay? And Amen. here's what it is, and then I want to hear your thoughts. We introduce stuff in the one-on-one that reps don't have access to whenever they freaking want, okay? Yeah. And so this creates all kinds of, of havoc in the one-on-one. What's your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, I can't tell you how many one-on-ones you I've walked into, and it's like, hey, what's, what happened over here? And I'm like, what, what are you looking at? What report did you pull that out of? Where would you, where'd you get that, your left toe? Your, your <laughs> right butt cheek? Like, I've never seen that before, but here's my perspective on what I've been doing. And that's the, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is, you know, sales leaders have access to data because maybe you've got sales ops or an analyst that's digging into the information and they've got access to data that reps don't have. And then you walk into this one-on-one and they're not prepared. They don't have a prepared mind because they don't have access to the same level of data that you do. I think that's, I think that's just a recipe for disaster. It absolutely is. And here's, here's what it does. So now instead of your rep coming in and we should, we should have stopped on this. This goes really important, Doug. Think for a second, every sales leader. Think of all the meetings your reps have every week, every month, every quarter. 
okay? Calls with customers, calls with prospects, team meetings, company meetings. How many of them are 100% about the rep? How many? Uh, very few. <laughs> yeah. If you're consistent and you don't violate deadly sin number one, you at least have that. But yeah. if you're like most people and you violate sin number one, you may not ever have something that's 100% about you, okay? Yeah. So when you come in and you have it, you better make it 100% about them and they better not feel like they're getting ambushed. And so I believe this, okay? A, you're not allowed to introduce something new for the first time in a one-on-one. They have to have access whenever they want or at least seen it in advance. But, but more important than that, Doug, too many people think one-on-ones are about the data. We should have tools be responsible for the content and the role of the leader is to be contextual. You give context around what this means and more important, what do we do about it? Yeah. I think that's the thing there. Yeah, yeah, totally. What's interesting, you know, our good buddy John Barrows, he, he, he has coined this phrase, which I absolutely love, which is like, if everybody thinks that content is king, if that's the case, then context is God. Yes. Because content without context doesn't mean anything. Just like this data without context doesn't mean anything. And so, so if you were going to provide, you're going to create consistency by having consistent one-on-ones. And you're going to ensure that you're, everyone's really clear about the data that you're going to leverage in these conversations. Then guess what? Then everybody's on the same page. The conversations go a lot smoother. And now two, everyone has more context. Two ways that it's violated the most. And we'll get on off of this one because I, I love how you're keeping me moving. You're doing very good. <laughs> you start your own podcast, dude. Um, uh, the, the two ways I see it happen the most. Number one, how many managers have their top secret spreadsheet of how they manage everything? How many? Yeah, how they all do. Yeah, everybody does. Everybody does. So if you have your spreadsheet, think twice before on how you use that. Or, you know, I'm not saying don't have that for yourself for whatever reason. But if that's your coaching tool, you're going to have dysfunctional one-on-ones. Is that a fair statement? It is. A, it is a very fair statement. Absolutely. I mean, look, it's just about transparency. I mean, I'm a big believer in transparency. Yep. Share everything, right? Um, and that, that will help to, to for your reps no longer feeling like they got ambushed. Okay, we're moving on. Number three. Then number three. Uh, this one's, this one's huge because this to me is what I feel like coaching sessions turn into. I love it. Flogging the forecast. We are beating that dead horse and we have managers think if I beat that pipeline enough times, I can beat a deal or two out of it. And what we find is all that does is turn up the pressure. It doesn't turn up performance. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of conversation around like, do we, should we do forecast meetings together as a team? even though everybody else is bored because I'm working with one rep on their forecast and, and their deals and eight other reps are just sitting there kind of twiddling their thumbs. But I actually think it's super valuable because now you can see, everyone can see from each other as far as how they think about deal health, deal strategies, and their actual forecast. What do you think about that? Yeah, what I think about it is it's, it, it, what I like about it is you separate the forecasting call with the deal coaching call and yes. deal coaching is a totally different thing. What I think is we should have a standardized way of how we commit so we can commit with confidence. Yep. And I think that there's the reason we have that is most organizations don't have a good way to commit with confidence. And what I don't want to do is have the time that's 100% about my I development end up being 100% about um, how we're going to win, you know, whatever deals that makes a Ferrari happen for your manager. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I like to commit with confidence. I love that. So <laughs> we need that's more. what I think. Uh, cool. So what's a symptom? Ask yourself, what percentage of the one-on-one is a pipeline review? That's what yeah. you should ask yourself. And here's the other one, Doug. Are you pushing the more button or are you pushing the how button? Oh, that's interesting. Ooh, that's a good one. The more button versus the how button. Talk, talk to me about that for a sec. 
All right. So most people. I'm going to put this conversation on on pause while we dig into that because I think that's really important. Yeah. Everybody knows the goal. Everybody everybody knows that we as a as a salesperson we sign up to do more and we're going to always have to do more. And yes. You know, at the end of the quarter, like we're maybe in right coming into now, we we may have people saying, "Hey, you're my star. Can you go find a few more deals in the in the in the cushions of the couch?" Right. <laughs> right. Totally. Right? And, and for someone that's behind, it's like, what can you do? The biggest mistake that I see leads to number four, and this is, it's the role of activities in chasing deals. Okay. Too many, we're going to talk about this. We're going to blend into four. Maybe we should just go there. Okay. This is how we get into the how button. What's the role of activities? In my mind, Doug, activities aren't to just see if you can pound some pressure out. Right. If we understand the role of activities, it's to create verifiers from the customer. Activities don't move stages along engagement from customers do. And if you can have your one-on-one be, hey, here's the must-win deals, here's the strategic deals, here's the deals that have stalled, here's the deals that whatever, and we now coach in a way that says, these are the activities we want to do because it creates these experiences with customers and engineers verifiers, that's totally different. Yeah. Our button yeah. is around how do we use activities. More button is what have you done for me lately? Yeah, and I want to add a little caveat to that, how, which is also – what, like, how do we know that our customers are on the same page as we are? Far too often in a forecast conversation or, or a pipeline review, it's like, oh yeah, here's what's going to happen. And just, I want you to listen to the number of things that are actually coming that are, that are kind of internally focused. These are all the things that we're doing. But what specifically are you verifying, as you were saying, with your customer to ensure that we're on the same page? Because look, Every deal over $10,000 requires at least five or six buyers involved in that process. Yep. So you got to get a, build consensus. Yep. Right. Yeah, you're right. And that's it. And I think that's a, I think that's a huge part of the how. Well, and, and Doug, one of the things I love, I've seen how you help companies build playbooks. I mean, you're an amazing resource to help companies build playbooks. And one of the things that you do a killer job when you help build a playbook is you make sure it's not just entrance and exit criteria because it's easy for a rep to say, I did that. I, I did that. I did right, that. Right. You do a really good job on what's the customer verified outcome and helping companies operationalize that. It provides managers and reps this ability to have confidence in what they can commit is and isn't happening. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. We've kind of bled into sin number four. So let's just tackle that. Okay. You're, you're deal coaching. You're a crutch, not a coach. Okay. I think Doug, this might be the easiest one to fall into because the leaders say, Oh, I can help you win that. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Uh, Hey Rob, have you been guilty of that at all? Oh, maybe once or twice. (laughs) Maybe once or twice. I I get it. When you love doing deals and you see it right in front of you, it's so hard to delegate and let them do it because truthfully, your butt is on the line because if that deal doesn't come in, then guess what? Then you're in trouble. And so it's like, it's that push pull of like, well, how much do I get involved? How much do I actually tell them specifically what to do? How much do I actually pick up the phone and and then get the customer on the, on the call? It's a, it's a, it's a balance. It's, it's the hardest job I think of being a leader, Doug, because A, you're passionate and you know you can do it, but we got to remember deal chasing and deal coaching. Again, you mentioned our buddy, John, John really talks about deal chasing versus deal coaching a lot. He sees that as something that happens everywhere he goes. And so what do you do? This is my, my, the best answer I have for this, uh, Doug, is make sure that that we focus on two things. We don't win the deal or chase the deal. We tune the deal and we also tune the engine. Okay. And so our coaching should be, are we doing things that makes our four cylinder engine, which you and I both know it's a sales equation. uh, It's a sales accelerate, the sales velocity formula, number of opportunities, average deal size, win rate and speed. 
are we making those work for us? Are activities working in a way that those are working in a place that we're happy with and gets us where we want to go? And then on the deals, can we make sure that instead of chasing the deals with you and winning them for you, we're tuning them and making commitments that we then circle back on. And instead of doing the call, we listen and analyze the call, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you've done this for me. You've listened to me on calls and you're like writing notes and saying, you blew it on this, you idiot. You know, do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but it's, you know, but, but when you have, when you feel like you've got something to lose as a manager, it's really difficult to do this. So I think it's really, really important that you, you, you take a step back, you listen, you take notes, and then you ask, well, what worked? What didn't work? Here are some things that I noticed. Right. So, so to what you said, I, my one statement, I have tried to have a one statement to finish all these. Here's what my statement is on this one, Doug. Our job isn't to win the business for our team. It's to develop our team so they can win the business. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, because as a manager, you can't be everywhere at once. Hence the reason why it's such a difficult job. All right. That's yep. sin number four. We've just got three left. Let's get going. What's sin number five? Lack of individualization. This is when we, what I refer to, and some of my friends at, uh, like CEB taught me this way of looking at, it. I love it, spreadsheet coaching. Okay. If we rely on spreadsheet coaching in a one on one, what we're basically doing is applying team averages to individuals. And that's just like reading Goldilocks and the three bears, Doug. Sometimes it's too hot. Sometimes it's too cold. And only rarely is it just right. And if you want reps to feel like they're getting coaching, it needs to be about them not about the team average and not about going up the leaderboard. It's not who can you beat. The only person they need to beat is themselves yesterday yeah. or last week. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, I mean, look, it's one of those things when we talk a lot about, um, you know, uh, attainment, right? So if I've got a million-dollar number and I did 700000 last year, it's going to be really difficult for me to go from 700000 to a million. That's a huge jump. But maybe it's not so difficult for me to go from 700000 to 800000 Right. Right. So right. it's like incremental. The other thing is, just, it's it's also the reason why that those secret manager notes are great inside of Salesforce because I, as a leader, can make notes on every one of my reps and when I before my one on ones, go in, read those, make sure that I'm really clear. It's like, what are we focusing on together this month, this week, this month, this quarter? That's right. And so that to me is one of the ones that derails. You could be doing everything right. You can be trying to tune the deals. You can be trying to do all the things we're doing. You're being focused on the right things and frequency, but then you just try to have them become what the averages say they should be. Right. And that's when you lose them. And it's, you know, I know it's an extra step sometimes, but if you aren't finding ways to tailor everything so it's individualized, yep. you're letting them down. Yeah. And it's something, it's a mistake I don't think we can afford to make. It's also a tough balance though, right? Because if you think about it, on the one hand, we want to create robots, right? To varying degrees. Like here, these are the things, yeah. it's, it's, it's the art and the science, you know, conversation. Like on the one hand, we've got the science and you just got to make the calls and you got to get, have the meetings, et cetera, et cetera. On the flip side though, there is that art, which is individualized, individualized for each rep. Well, and you said this in the podcast episode you had with me, and it's actually one of the points of that five forces model that we identified in our greatest hits. The great leaders, they do more than just have process. They build systems. That's how you operationalize things. And part of a system is to tailor it to how an individual works. So yeah, you get them in and want to make them, you want to make them doing the things that you can say, add five people, it gets me this much. But the leader's job is to make sure that it's tuned in a way that that person can respond. Yeah. Okay. So sin number five, lack of individual individualization. That's a big word. Sin number six, looking backwards. Okay. This one happens all the time, Doug. They come in and let's say you have a 30 minute 
one-on-one. I mean, that's an interesting. I guess it's everyone's different. What do you think the appropriate amount of time for a one-on-one? Is it 30 minutes, well, 15 minutes, an hour? Again, it, it depends. Yeah. If I'm in a super transactional business and we're doing this every week, then maybe 15 minutes. Right. If, if I'm only meeting you once a month, then guess what? I want 30 because and we got because we got to get after it. Right? Yeah. So here's the rule of thumb. Yep. 10% of your time should be on the past, 90% on the future. So since I suck at math except for commissions, I'm going to go to your 30-minute because that's a round number instead of a five at the end. <laughs> and so 10% of 30 minutes, you got three minutes to talk about the past, so I got 27 to make plans for the future. Yep. You take that balance and you start making sure that you're focusing on the, on the, on the future. That's the only way these things are going to ignite and inspire. And that, to me, Doug, is if you aren't igniting something new and if you're not inspiring something different, we're letting them down and it's not being a cheerleader. You're not putting on, you know, waving the pom poms and, and doing high kicks. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. We're finding what's next. So they say, dang, I'm so stoked. I wish I had more time with Doug because he helps me see things and he makes, he gets me to commit to do things different that I can't wait to do. Yeah. So here's the question though. Why do you think people spend so much time of say their 30 minutes? They'll spend 20 minutes talking about what happened last month. Because there's so, much pressure, there's so much pressure to hit the goal, and most people aren't hitting goal right now, and it's getting worse every, every, yeah. every year. You know that. But there's, also, but there's also something to be learned from what happened the last month or last quarter, right? You want to highlight your things that like, didn't work so well, and then use that as your launching pad to go, okay, how are we going to fix it? That's right. And that's why we acknowledge it. We say it is what it is. We are where we are. What yep. do you think led to it? How did it go last month? What did we yep. do? How did it go? How did we do last week? Okay, so what did we do? Did it work? Didn't it work? And that's the other problem is we aren't coaching, and we, we didn't really get into this when we talked about individualization, and that's my bad. We too often are coaching to outcomes and not to process, okay? And the reason we look backwards is we're only focused on the outcomes, and if we can be focused on the process and we can separate the process from the outcomes, we can then see process victories that we know will lead to outcome victories and we know when we should be patient and we know when we shouldn't be. And because we don't separate process from outcomes, it's almost impossible. And that's why we look backwards. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's going back to the individualization because the way in which my, I run my process is very different than the way in which you run your process. And so there, that's how you start to get individualized in your conversations is let's get to process because outcomes are not individualized. We all have the same effing number. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, here's why this also matters. You can't, as a leader or as a rep, guarantee outcomes. You cannot put a gun to someone and say, you better buy. Okay. <laughs> the only true. thing we can be 100% on is the activities I'm going to do, the intent in which I do them, and what I hope to achieve by doing them. And yeah. if we can get better at more high-value activities, if you are low-value activities, and we can make sure that we're process-oriented, you're going to give yourself the best chance. But here's the thing that I would focus on with this, Doug. Um, we're coming up to January. Uh, do you know why our Roman calendar is named January? Oh, no. This is going to be good. I have no idea. It's named after the Roman god Janus. Janus was the greatest of the Roman gods. Zeus was the greatest of the Greek gods. Janus was the re- greatest of the Roman gods. They named the first month after him because he has the face of looking backwards and forwards. He has the power to see whatever your past was and create whatever future he wants. So the Romans would give the best of everything they had, their first children or their best of their flocks or their fields. They would gladly give all they had for the promise of a better future. So we need to be a Janus-type leader. That says oh, we'll help you build the future rather than beat you up of the past. Yeah, that's great. Oh man, that's that's powerful right there. All right, that's a great way to transition into sin number seven as we look to wrap this up. What is the seventh deadly sin that we've got to be careful about? 
We confuse having a conversation for coaching. I can't tell you how many times I hear Doug. I know you've heard this too. Hey, I talk to him every day. We go to lunch. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know it's their birthday. We, we talk all the time. I yeah. know what deals they're working on. I know, I know, I know. That's not what coaching is about. It's what do they commit to do? Yeah. Right? Your reps yeah. have to get commitments from your prospects in order to get deals. As a leader, if you're not getting commitments from your reps on how they're going to change, you haven't coached them. Yeah. So what's interesting, and that begs the question, should there be a framework for coaching? Because again, going back to the very first comment that I made, which is, you know, based on the statistics, 83% think they actually do a great job or 48% think they do a great job or whatever the number is, it's all skewed. The reality is I think a lot of people don't know what actually good coaching means. And conversely, they don't actually have a framework to do it. So instead, they just have conversations. So to your point, if, and, and if I want to switch from just having a conversation to actually doing real coaching, what does that framework look like? So let me ask your question with a question. How important is it for a rep to have a framework for how a sale's done? Uh, well, I mean, we just talked about like there's, there's process and outcomes, yeah. right? Same so thing in coaching. If you don't have a framework for what it means to have behaviors change and, and skills develop, you're just going to be guessing. Okay. Yep. You absolutely have to. It is not that different being a leader than a rep. If you look at it as I'm going to help people improve their skills, just like as a rep, I was going to have people improve their current state to a different state. Yeah. So you better have one. It better have a number of things that sometimes includes a little bit about pipeline and what are the key ones I want to win. But it better also be including things like what are the behaviors or the skills that you have that fuels your personal engine for the sales equation. Right. You aren't so, looking at those things and saying, we are going to intentionally get to places that you want to go. The most important thing is this. Here's my framework. It's a simple version. First, find their aspirations. Why did they join your company? What do they hope to achieve? Okay. Yep. Second, what are the perspirations? What are the activities and how hard do they need to work? We, I've never met someone who says that's successful that chooses work smart over work hard. The successful ones say work both, right? So you're going to have to know the aspirations, which leads then to the final one, observations. You know, what do you observe that are skill related that now that they're working with the right work ethic, how can we change the skills? Because I've had these observations by listening to calls, seeing you in the field, listen, you know, whatever those parts of the process are, aspirations, uh, leads to perspirations, which leads to os to observations. And if you do that, you'll have killer coaching framework. <laughs> Man, you're just dropping some knowledge here. Boom, baby. That is some good stuff. All right, so I'm going to summarize. Seven deadly sins, and as we said in the very beginning, don't try and fix all of them, but at, at, at a minimum, just become more aware of what you are doing and what you're not doing. Sin number one, inconsistency. Sin number two, ambushing with data. Ugh, we hate that. Sin number three, flogging the forecast, you know, turning a one-on-one -on -one into your pipeline review every single time. What are you going to do? What did you do for me lately? Sin number four, being a crutch, not a coach. Sin number five, lack of individualization. Sin number six, looking backwards instead of forwards. And sin number seven, confusing conversations for coaching. My friend, that is some serious bad juju going on right there. But unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, that's what a lot of managers are doing. Day in and day out. Unknowingly, by the way. Unknowingly. I, I didn't say. I did, Look, if they're doing it knowingly, then we have a much bigger problem. <laughs> <laughs> but this is why the coaching gap exists that you already alluded to. Yeah. That's why. You want to bridge that gap? Start on those. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, and at the end of the day, what? People join companies and they leave managers. They leave managers that are not there supporting them, helping them, driving them, coaching them. And, and so if you're not going to do it, then you're going to lose people. 
Doug, thanks for having this conversation with me. I, I, I love it. You can tell I'm passionate about it. And I know you are too. I know I, if the managers get this right, dude. It's not just the companies hit numbers. Yeah. Lives changed. Yeah. You legendary in the life of the person that worked for you. If you yeah. just avoid these things. Yeah, that's true. Lives change. Get this right and lives change. Rob, thank you so much for allowing me to be here and interview you and get some of your knowledge, passion, and in, insight about uh, how to create great coaching cultures within an organization. Something we all have to do. Thanks for joining us again. And as always, my friend, thanks for being my ambassador, Quan, and happy selling. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.